Ready to learn why cash flow and compassion are not mutually exclusive? Each week, brand strategist, speaker, and author Maria Ross will introduce you to the trailblazing brands and leaders who embrace empathetic tactics to reap huge rewards. You'll learn about winning teams, brand wins and fails, unforgettable customer experience, and bold leadership decisions fueled by compassion. You'll get the latest trends and research, discover practical ways to infuse more empathy into your work and life, and hear from innovative market leaders who've smashed outdated models and redefined success. Welcome to the Empathy Edge podcast, the show that proves empathy isn't just good for society, it's great for business. We're in a time of difficult conversations, long overdue conversations around racism, social justice, gender equity, and more. This has a real impact on the workplace, on your organization's success. Why do we have such a hard time having honest conversations, both in our personal and professional lives? And what can we do to have more productive and honest conversations? Today, we're joined once again by the amazing M.E. Hart, known as Hart, an attorney, DE&I strategist, and executive leadership coach. We explored in episode 31 how to bridge divisions by embracing our common humanity, and he and I wanted to record another interview specifically about honest conversations, me as a white woman, he as a black man, to crack open what makes this hard and how to broach these conversations in an empathetic healthy way in the workplace that respects the lived experiences of all involved. For a refresher, M.E. Hart, who goes by Hart, brings a unique blend of training experiences and expertise as an attorney, professional actor, and certified executive coach to the design and delivery of highly effective learning solutions in the corporate, government, and not-for-profit sectors. Hart balances life experience with cutting-edge research to teach critical communications, management, and leadership skills that are unmatched in the adult learning field. His career has taken him into Fortune 500 companies across the U.S. and to interesting parts of the world. Hart has helped bridge cultural differences in Moscow and Ukraine, worked with global industry leaders in Belgium, conducted emergency interventions for organizations in crisis, produced interactive satellite and video conference training for members of the federal judiciary, produced award-winning educational broadcast television programming, and led interactive learning events on diversity, feedback, and coaching, conflict management, and many other topics. He got his BA in Russian literature and language and his Juris Doctorate from the University of Kentucky. He's a certified Myers-Briggs type indicator, the emotional competency inventory, and has consulted using many other organizational assessment tools. He's committed to working with organizations to create inclusive, creative, and innovative cultures that empower people to accomplish their desired business goals while living their values. This was a great episode that really allowed us to dive into what it means to have an honest conversation and especially what might be holding you back and how to deal with it. Take a listen. Welcome back to the Empathy Edge, Heart. You have the distinction of being my first repeat guest on the podcast. Oh, wow. I am so honored. Thank you, Maria. Oh, my goodness. I know. Well, we had such a great conversation and there were so many other avenues we could have gone down. And we even had a great conversation after our podcast interview, which folks, if you haven't tuned into the first one, please do. It's wonderful. 
But we wanted to have a talk, you and I, about having honest conversations and an honest dialogue. Because I think if anything coming out of the last year, among all the themes coming out of 2020, has been this reckoning that we just have to talk with more honesty. We have to mm -hmm. engage in dialogue. And I think especially in the work context, that's really hard for people, yes. especially people that grew up old school, like work is work and personal is personal and where's the line. And, but even just people like myself that want to have conversations, but are not sure how to broach them, how to like get into the conversation. I think it's really important to talk about how to have an effective and honest dialogue. Well, thank you for asking that question, for bringing the topic up. And one of the things that I really wanted to talk about when it made me think about this was you are comfortable having honest conversations. And what's really interesting is because of your book, Empathy Edge, you speak very honestly about your experience with the brain tumor and how the in the workplace of the hospital, the use of empathy in a workplace under extreme difficult circumstances people are able to talk honestly about hard things. I mean, what's the hardest thing to say than to walk up to someone and say, you have cancer, you know what I mean? Right, yeah. And yet they were able to share with you those hard facts and you were able to take them in and have an informed dialogue about what to do going forward to make your own plan. You had to make the decisions. They didn't make the decisions, right? Yeah, well, actually, I didn't have cancer. I had a brain aneurysm, just no, I mean, to clarify. A brain aneurysm. Yeah, oh, but I mean, that idea of just being able to be honest, and I think where that really comes up with is my ability to talk about it. Because people always go, is it okay for us to talk about this? And I'm like, yeah, bring it on. Because if it's going to help other people, then let's have a conversation. But I thank you for saying that I'm so comfortable having difficult conversations because on the inside, I don't always feel that way, especially conversations that are very important. I go in, it's not a lack of fear. For me, it's the, what's the price I pay if I don't have the conversation that helps right. me get over the fear. And I'm sure you right. found that with your clients who have had to have difficult conversations in the workplace too. What's the price of not having the conversation? Exactly. And I knew you didn't have cancer. At first, I said you had a brain aneurysm. Yeah, but I, was yeah. using can I was using cancer as an example of the other hard things that people yes. have to talk about. And in my workplace, I was talking with clients who actually were diagnosed with other conditions early in my career. As we talked about in the other podcast, my clients had AIDS and other complicated. But the context was in the workplace of the healthcare environment, people are able to do it. And yeah. so the question is, in our own workplaces, what do we need to do? And the number one thing that you just said is, why don't people have them? The question you asked, it's that internal state. It's the inner awareness of, and you have to bring a level of inner awareness of, is this the right person for me to have this conversation with? Right. And you also have to bring a level of inner awareness of, Am I comfortable being uncomfortable in this conversation? Because hard conversations make us all uncomfortable. It's the thing that the body does. We talked about that earlier on. The brain will trigger this sense of threat and adrenaline. And, oh, how are they going to respond? Mm -hmm. And the real reason we don't have them is because they're too risky. Right. They're too risky. And what are we risking? In the workplace, for example, now what happened in 2020 with George Floyd and what's happening right now in the, when we're looking at what's going on in this country, the federal government was a workplace for me. Mm -hmm. Like I used to work in the federal government. So when I'm listening to, I'm right now listening to the hearings and what's going on, but I'm listening through it, a workplace lens. Yes. 
And what's interesting is it's hard to hear some of the things people are talking about through that workplace lens as a person of color. Mm-hmm. And in watching the work, and so I'm going to use this as a workplace metaphor. Yeah. Uh, we also are in a time where we're using podcasts and we're able to go out. And so members of Congress have been sharing their personal difficult experiences mm-hmm. and they're sharing that some of them were shocked, some of them were afraid, some of them were surprised, some of them are concerned about working with their own colleagues. Can you imagine the stress of having to worry, am I safe Mm -hmm. in my workplace? Right. That's what makes these conversations so hard. Now, if you didn't go through what they went through on an extremely traumatic Mm -hmm. sort of thing, let's talk about the lesser stressors. Let's say microaggressions the little things that happens in the meetings. Like if you happen to be a woman and your voice gets cut off every time mm-hmm. you bring up an idea, that generates stress. And then you say, wait a minute, should I raise this issue? Should I raise my hand? Now, ideally, what would you say? We would think that the answer would be, of course, of course you should raise your hand. But if it's your boss, what's the internal calculus? Wait a right. minute, am I gonna lose my job if I say something? Right. Am I going to get that great project that I want to work on if I say something? Mm-hmm. Maybe I should just keep my mouth closed. <laughs> well, and that's why allyship in the office is so important in the business because sometimes you can't, you do have that vulnerability or you have that fear or it is a big risk for you to take. But in those meetings, that's where someone's allyship really shines through above a social meme, right? It's the person that says, oh, wait a minute, Maria, you were saying something and you got interrupted. Yes. And that could be a woman or a man that does that for you. Exactly. That's an exactly, it's a perfect example of the allyship. Mm -hmm. And I also say that to people, if I see, you can get nonverbal cues that someone wants to say something. You can actually invite- Squirming in their chair. They're they're moving around. Yeah. (laughs) And so what's the small allyship thing you can do? You can say, hey, Maria, looks like you want to say something. Am I reading that right or not? And then you get a chance to say, well, I was thinking something or you get a chance to do it or not. Mm -hmm. So sometimes people are not invited into the conversation. Mm -hmm. I mean, there is this underlying assumption that if you're invited to the room, your voice is welcome. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people just don't, they don't feel that. Uh, and then the other thing too, that we have to keep in mind is, has the person spoken up before mm-hmm. and then not gotten credit for what they said? Uh, do they have a level of caution? Is there high competition in the culture? Cause look, we live in a competition marketplace and people are wanting to get ahead, but is the competition internally impacting our ability to collaborate and work together Mm-hmm. as a team. That's another dynamic that can make it hard for people. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I just want to ask your thought about how do we have these more honest conversations about the big stuff, whether it's mm. at work or at home, right? So so as an example, in the workplace, maybe a low stakes conversation is mm. my idea on how to do the budget this year. I mean, it might not be low stakes for me and my job, but it's pretty low stakes versus let's have a conversation about racism. Absolutely. Have a conversation about misogyny. Let's have a conversation about gender equity. How can we have more conversations about the big stuff, whether it's work or home? What's a good in for people? Because I'm going to be transparent. 
you and I are able to have pretty honest conversations and we've only met a few times over mm -hmm. Zoom. But mm -hmm. in the context of which we met was to talk about honest conversations and DEI. So it was a natural fit. I have mm -hmm. other friends, other black friends that I would like to have a conversation with, but I don't know the right way in. And I want to check in on them, mm -hmm. but our relationship is different. Our relationship mm -hmm. is lighter or it's about the kids or it's about, you know what I mean? Like there's no, in. and I think at work, people feel that way too. Like, oh, heart, you're my colleague. And really when we interact with each other, we're only talking about the marketing plan or the this, the that about work, how can someone have an in for having that dialogue or even seeing if that dialogue is well received by the other person? Because I think that's another thing too, just because you want to have the conversation doesn't mean somebody else does. Yeah. And what you're talking about is building trust in the relationship. You and I had a level of trust because of who introduced us. Yeah. Uh, because I mean, I've wrote a book, Thriver's Quest, Healing Life's Traumas to Bring Out Your Best, and you wrote a book. And what we know is through the writing of those books, you and I have developed skills and talents of talking about hard stuff, mm -hmm. but not everyone has taken a similar journey or has that level of comfort. Right. So that's number one. You have to respect that each person is where they are. So that's the first assessment. And then the second assessment is you have to test. So yeah. let's just say we're in a meeting about the budget and I'm, I want to know what my colleagues are thinking about. And actually, I'm having these conversations now with my colleagues. And I yeah. said, hey, you know what? I'd like to talk about what you think is going on politically in the background landscape. I don't want to take a lot of time. Are you comfortable mm -hmm. talking about that? Yeah. And I've heard people and people say, no, I'm not comfortable talking about that. Right. And I would say, OK, thank you. But if you ever want to talk to it, I'm an open door. So please feel free to talk to me. Exactly. And then other people who I said, you know, we've never talked about this before. And but what has been your experience of dealing with difficulty in the workplace that doesn't make you feel so wounded? Mm -hmm. And it's interesting. Oftentimes, when you open the door, you will find that people are hungry to talk about things as long as they know they can do it confidentially mm -hmm. and that you have a level of respect in it. So you yeah. invite people, one, and then two, you accept their answer without judgment. Mm -hmm. So if they say, hey, Maria, you know what? I'm not really as comfortable. I don't want to have this have, conversation. Yeah, I'm not talking to you about race in the workplace. As a matter of fact, I'm not talking about race in the workplace with anyone. Mm. And I've had some of my colleagues, some of the people that I mentor tell me, I will never talk about race in the workplace. And they're people of color. Mm -hmm. And the reason is because they say it is not safe. And mm. I say, why do you feel that it's not safe? And they say, because in the workplace, there are laws against creating a hostile and offensive work environment on these things, race, genders, gender identity, all of those. And because of that, I'm not comfortable talking about any of those topics in the workplace because I don't know how someone else is going to respond to it. Mm -hmm. And that's a real kind of personal assessment that people have to make. And you have to be honest that if you're not comfortable talking about it, you can't put pressure on people to talk about it. Absolutely. And now, so what's interesting is there are two generations coming in the workplace right now who are saying, I'm very comfortable talking exactly. about race. Exactly. As a matter of fact, I want to talk about race and I want to talk about race in our leadership. And I want to talk about how am I supposed to navigate through to the management to get to the leadership because I want to be up there someday and that's where I'm headed. So can we talk about that? 
And so given your work, I mean, you do a lot of work around DEI consulting, you're in workplaces. What do you say to someone, maybe a manager who's like, I know I should be bringing this up and checking in with my team, but I don't want to break any HR boundaries. Yes. What would you say to that person? First of all, I would say, go to your HR department, go to your HR director, review what your policies are and talk to them about what you want to check in with your team about. Mm -hmm. And then I would ask, is there a specific behavior or set of behaviors that you're concerned about? Are you seeing things? Because if they're looking at something specifically, Mm -hmm. they may be making assumptions about behaviors and that has something to do with race and gender. And it could, somebody could have an upset stomach or they could have, you know, it's a really interesting because people make us, oh, we have this, some people have a circuit in their brain that if something is going wrong, it's because of one of these really hot topics like race or gender or gender identity. And oftentimes it's not. Right. <laughs> you know, right. it's like, they're just, they're uh, just like having a stomachache that day. Yeah. Or they're like, no, I, this is, I'm just sick of Zoom. You know, it's like, yeah. I can't have another Zoom. I mean, so we have to sort of check our assumptions. But then when you say you want to check in with people, my question would be, so what conversations are you having with your team about the organization? commitment to inclusion and belonging. Right. Then the conversation would be, is there anything that I can do to help you feel more valued, that you have a sense of inclusion and belonging here, and that'll help you bring out your best ideas? Is there anything that I can do or is there anything that you'd like to talk about? That's what I would say. Yeah. And And I love the end of bringing it around to broaching the topic with, we know this is going on and here's our commitment as a company. And we would like to solidify that commitment. We'd like to articulate that better. So we want to invite people to have a conversation with us about what they're seeing, what we could be doing better, how they're feeling. That's almost a safer way to start the topic in the workplace other than heart you're black. How are you doing today? You know? It's like, like, uh, you know, well, actually, I've known that my whole life. That thank you for noticing. You know? Exactly. Did you know? It, yeah. Yeah. Did you did you know? And what's really interesting though is because I did a survey with a group of people not too long ago. And and I asked that as a part, it was a silent survey. And they were like, how many people for your 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 identity? Race mm-hmm. is an important part of your identity. And about 40% of the whole 100% said race was an important part of their identity. And it was a very mixed group. And so we're making this assumption that race is high on their landscape in their professional careers. And for some, for many people, it's not. It's like Mm -hmm. my profession, where I want to go in my profession is more important than that. Mm-hmm. I don't even want my race to be a consideration or I don't want my gender or gender identity to be a consideration. For a lot of people, it doesn't resonate high until they feel like something unfair is being done because of it. Mm-hmm. Now, the social background landscape uh, about the political divide and what's going on, that's the background social context. But in the context of a particular culture, for some people, they're not really paying attention to that. And that social context isn't affecting them very much. They have their head down and they're focused on doing their job and they want to do a good job for the company. That's right. what's most important to them. And I think I actually have an interesting offshoot question based on what you just said. Okay. Do you think that, again, I know you can't speak for every black person in the workplace, right? But you know, no, there's, there's not a secret club. It's like when people find out I'm Italian and ask me about Italian things. I'm like, well, <laughs> this is how my family did stuff. But do you think that there are 
minority groups in the workplace. And I want to be more like inclusive, whether it's Asian, Hispanic, Black. Do you think some of them who have created a coping mechanism for themselves of not dealing with race, do you think some of them are having a hard time with more of the openness of race right now? Well, Meaning how they've advanced in their careers yeah. has been to put the blinders on and not bring up race as an issue at all. Do you think there's some pushback from people like that that are like, even though I am Black, Hispanic, a woman, whatever it is, race or gender, I've gotten by by not talking about this and I'm on my track and I don't want to get derailed from my track. Do you find any pushback? This is so interesting because I do a lot of coaching with leaders from mm -hmm. different generations. Mm -hmm. And so the baby boomer and above generations, what they were taught when they went into the workplace was check your emotions at the door. Right. Do not talk about race, religion, or politics. Yes. This was a deeply rooted lesson that they were taught as a part of their professional development. And they have taken that message in and they right. developed coping mechanisms and they're very comfortable. But the, the uh, Gen X and millennials who I coach got a different message because when they were coming through emotional intelligence and social intelligence and honesty and authenticity were moving into being an authentic leader. And so they want to, now I'm speaking in generalizations and exactly. knowing that yeah. there's a lot of diversity within each generation, but they came in with a little, developing a few more skills of being more comfortable talking about their gender identity and their race and their test. And then the last two generations, sort of Gen Z, which is coming in, so we're talking 21 to 25, and then we're talking mm -hmm. 25 to 35, many of them were taught social and emotional learning skills in grade school. Mm -hmm. By that, I mean self-awareness, self-management, empathy and relationship management and creative problem solving. So they come in with a level of authentic conversation and they will talk about race and gender and emotions and all these kinds of things because their lived experience them gave them a skill set. Mm -hmm. All of those are in the workplace at the same time. Right and they clash. So the answer to your question is yes. Some people were taught that right. and they're holding on to their skills. Now the question becomes from the leadership standpoint, when we're talking about the structures that allow people to advance through management and leadership, and we need to talk about by looking at the numbers, why do we not have women and people of color at this leadership, you've got to talk about it as it relates to the organization and helping people navigate. So there are people who were taught you don't talk about it, who've got to learn to get comfortable talking about it appropriately for the business space. You don't have to tell all your secrets. You don't have to tell all the things that happened to you. You don't have to tell all the horrible things that happened to you. You don't have to talk about all of that. But what you do have to talk about it is to the extent of, how can we increase our recruiting? What can we do to retain this group? Because we seem to have a hard time of doing that. So you have to develop the skills to be able to talk about it at that level. That's such a good reminder for people, because again, those coping mechanisms might not be that they don't want to talk about it. It's that they've grown up with a leadership style that has served them well up to now of not talking about those things. And so it's exactly. very hard for people to just switch on a dime and go, oh, now I can let it all hang out. Now we can have these conversations. If for their entire 20, 30, 40 year career, that's how they've advanced. 
Well, on the other side of the equation, too, it's got to, there needs to be a level of empathy. And when you talk about empathy, is understanding people's lived experience that might be influencing their behaviors. Because those who are comfortable talking about it, like myself and yourself, we have to be careful when we encounter someone who is not comfortable yes. talking about it and not judging them. It's like, oh, give me a break. Yeah. You're an old fogey or whatever. Because it has nothing to do with generation per se. It has to be engaging with the person. And right. so if I encounter someone who's not comfortable talking about race in a leadership position. And this is why I do one-on-one -on -one coaching where we can unpack why they're uncomfortable talking about it. And they can literally say, well, I'm not comfortable because I didn't grow up talking about this. And I said, okay, I understand you're not, you didn't grow up talking about it. And I don't want you to talk about all of the hurtful things in your whole life experiences. What do we need to do to help you talk about this so that you can meet your leadership responsibilities with your team. Mm -hmm. And you have a team member who is very comfortable and they brought something to your attention that you need to deal with. And they brought up the issue of race or they brought up the issue of gender or gender identity. Mm -hmm. Now, you can go to your HR person to practice conversations around it, but you still have to talk about it. It's your role, your job responsibility. And in order to meet that, we've got to find a way to do that. That's... Great advice. Again, kind of like we said before, bringing it back to the business and the leadership role and responsibility rather than making it a personal judgment. Right. Yeah. And it's about being respectful and being authentic, but also doing your job. Because right. again, we're talking about the workplace and right. we've got to get the job done, right? So let's talk about, okay, you work with a leader, maybe you work with a senior leader, C-level leader who mm -hmm. you've been coaching and now they're on board and they're like, I know this is something I need to address. Mm -hmm. What's the right way and the wrong way for them to open the conversation? Is it, let's have an all hands meeting and I'm going to open it with, tell me everything you think about race. <laughs> I mean, I don't you know, know, maybe certain cultures that might work, <laughs> but how do you guide them on how they can, now that they're comfortable What's their first step with their but, company or their department? It is targeted to where the culture is. If the culture has been working on diversity, equity, and inclusion, and they've done training, and they have resources, and they have a statement, that leader can approach it in one way. If they are just beginning these conversations, then they have to approach it in a completely different way. And they also have to recognize the level of resistance. So let's say I'm working with a leader who's like, look, you're really kind of at inclusion and belonging 101 in your culture. So what you've got to do is you've got to articulate your commitment to doing this, why you're doing this, why it's important to you as a leader to create this kind of culture. Mm -hmm. And what you're working to do is to create a culture of ongoing dialogue that can lead us to not only building an inclusive culture, but keeping and maintaining an inclusive culture. Mm -hmm. And then you acknowledge these might be some new conversations for us. There are going to be some level of uncomfortable. And then you admit this, this is a little uncomfortable for me. I mean, this is new to me too, but I think it's important for the company. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to join you in this conversation. And this is what we're going to do. And you might pilot ways of having the conversation. You might pilot town halls. Do you have any questions? And you have a question and answer. And if you as a leader are not comfortable, get a facilitator who understands this. And these facilitated dialogues should all have guidelines and they should be based on the culture. So we want you to all listen. We want you to share only what you feel comfortable sharing. We want to respect each other 
whatever the list of guidelines are, they should have them. And I will be reinforcing those as we go along in case we forget about them. But the whole purpose is for us to listen and learn. Some of these sessions happened after George Floyd and they didn't go so well in some mm -hmm. organizations. And the reason was people were sharing really painful and wounding things. And some of them were really comfortable sharing them. But what's happening was the organization wasn't ready to hear them. Right. And so the allies, you were talking about how to be an ally, to be a good listener without judgment is a great step for being a good ally. I've got to listen without judgment because a lot of times people are like, oh, we have a little guilt arises within us. And it's like, you're trying to make me feel guilty as opposed right. to turning the question around. Why am I feeling guilty for hearing this? Right. Now, in working with some leaders, I've worked with them. I, said, I feel guilty because I thought we had created a culture that was more inclusive, but I'm discovering that it's not. As a leader, which is a lonely position to be in, mm -hmm. I'm a little bit ashamed that I didn't know about it. Right. So for leaders navigating feelings of guilt and shame internally and personally, because that's their own stuff to deal with, mm -hmm. they have to deal with it and still engage in the conversation. So I work a lot with leaders on that. It's like, well, it's normal to feel mm -hmm. shame. It's human. Yeah. And if they grew up in that generation where they didn't learn to talk about emotions, it's very uncomfortable. Exactly. Exactly. And from conversations I've had, it's often the leaders who are very empathetic, who maybe didn't realize the extent of the pain or the trauma that certain people in their organization were in. They are feeling extra guilt and shame because they already thought they felt connected to those people. And they're realizing, oh, no, like I thought I was helping that person and I wasn't. You know, and, and so sometimes there's the, they, the added part of their own emotions of, especially if they thought they had those connections with people in their workplaces. And then sometimes they try to move too fast too. They were like, because they assumed that, okay, we need to fix this immediately. And, this. Yeah. and also it's interesting, the workplace environment. And so I wanted to make a distinction between work and personal, because being honest at work, you have to be honest in the context of the culture. And the first thing that people are worried about is the survival. I mean, they want to have a career. They mm -hmm. want to keep their career. They want to advance. And survival at work and then self-care can happen inside of the work and self-care outside of work. For example, outside of work, you need to find a safe place to talk about anything you need to talk about on any topic. The workplace may not be the place for you to talk about some of those things, but it is important for you to find an authentic place to speak honestly about the challenges and difficulties that you're having. Sometimes workplaces have employee assistance programs where you can get confidential information, but you can also find them in your friends. You can also find them in a sort of online groups. You can also find them with online therapy or online mm -hmm. hotlines. I wanna just raise up, it is always important as someone who has survived difficult life things, it's important to heal and live and live and heal at the same time and to have a discernment about whether it's at work that this happens. Because work is not really for a lot of people a healing place. It's a place right. to make, you know, but it is important to find those safe places to speak honestly about the challenges that you're dealing with. Yeah. And what do you advise to people who want to have those conversations in their workplace, but the leadership, I'm kind of flipping it from the leaders yep. to the folks in the organization. They would like to be having more of those conversations, not just to make their workplace better, but for themselves too. If they yeah. want to understand race, they want to understand the experiences of other people in their organization, but 
leadership is not stepping up. Is there anything folks can do at the mid-level or the lower levels in the organization, or is it just they have to go find a new workplace? Well, you know, it's interesting because I think Deloitte did a study recently that said 80% of people said that they were willing to move to a different workplace if they thought it was more inclusive. Yes. I mean, upwards to 80%. Yeah. Um, and more empathetic, and, too. I think that yeah, we might have seen more, that same study. We yeah. Might, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you're always scanning the landscape. I know. I know. Um, but there is something that people can do. I mean, at the individual contributor level and at the management level is you need to find a leadership, a leader ally. You can't just sit on it. You would just go and say, look, I love working here. And I think that it would help us in our culture if we're able to have some of these kinds of conversations. Mm -hmm. And then if you've done a little research and it's like about, like, for example, I would like for us to be able to maybe have a town hall or maybe in the staff meeting, have 10 minutes to talk about getting some ideas on how to make the culture a little bit more inclusive and build belonging, or just getting ideas from each other on how can we attract more diverse staff? What do you think about that? Because mm -hmm. what's interesting is a lot of times managers and leaders, they have their heads down, focused on the numbers and focused on the work. No one approaches them and no one even talks about it. And so mm -hmm. they don't find out that it's a challenge or a desire until there's a problem. Right. So sometimes just broaching the conversation with your leader and mm -hmm. saying, I would love to do this. Now, some people would say, well, if my leader doesn't get it, they're so clueless about what's going on. And I would advocate checking the assumption because it's not necessarily that they're clueless. It's just that their focus is in a different place. Exactly. Because from an empathy standpoint, it's really important for us to recognize that people are taking their own journeys in their own way. Totally. And when we have our first assumption, we might need to check it out a little bit before yeah. going forward. Yeah, I think that's so powerful because I'll be really transparent. This is something I've broached with the principal of my son's school, who is on board with wanting to create a more diverse student body, as well as attract more diverse teachers. Because we've all seen the data around if students have role models of authority figures that are more diverse, they tend to have better relationships with people of diverse backgrounds. Absolutely. And it's a wonderful school. And I've gone to her now, she's fighting a lot of different fires right now with COVID and get, you know, the kids getting back at school. And so I've been very, I could have read that as, oh, she's not interested in this. But basically I've just made myself a resource and said, I think this is really important. And I know there's probably other parents who feel the same way. And let us know what we can do. This isn't all on you. Like we can create a group where we can brainstorm ideas. And again, just having that understanding and not making the assumption that it's not important to the people in charge because it is, they just might have a few other more burning platforms to deal with right now. And not that it's not a burning platform, but it's almost like, oh my gosh, in the midst of everything going on. But when I check myself because I am very sensitive. And so when I get the brush off, it's a yeah. little bit like, okay, you know, that's not cool. Again, I try to reach into that empathy toolbox and say, yep. okay, this is not about me or about this topic. I know this person is on board with this. And so yeah. well, I just need to give space and it's not going to change overnight. And I just need to keep the conversation going. Well, that's a brilliant observation, Maria. I think this is a great case study for 2021 to recognize that folks, we're still living in a pandemic. Right. Uh, we're still living in a hot political climate. Right. We're still trying to get people vaccinated. Businesses There's are still, still struggling. Yeah. A great deal of uncertainty. Mm -hmm. Businesses are struggling. 
that is the context in which you're having the conversation. Mm -hmm. But making the mental note that this is an important part of the conversation too, but recognizing that people are assessing priorities differently. Right. But making a mental note for ourselves. One of the things that you did that I thought was really great, you said, I recognize that I got it a little triggered when she didn't appear to be taking it as seriously as I was, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. We all have that. And right. then what you did was you empathetically put a check mark beside your trigger and you said, wait, she may have other things going on. Yeah. I just need to keep the conversation going. Mm -hmm. So what you can do is put on your calendar, you know, I'll wait in a month or so and see as things, and I'll revisit the conversation. Right. And by revisiting it, sometimes you will actually build an ally because they will say, you know what, I know you brought this up a month ago and I was just so overwhelmed and this is really important to me. Exactly. And the reason I didn't say anything is because I care about this so much and I was so, you know what I mean? Right. So, be very careful not to push away an ally right. by misinterpreting that behavior at that time. Right. Yeah. And that's so true because it's also that idea of like many of the leaders you work with, it doesn't mean they don't care. It means that there's a lot going on and they're trying yeah. to navigate that. And I have this on a much less important level. I've reached out to a vendor about something and then I get busy doing my own thing. When they reach out to me again, like, hey, just catching up, just revisiting what we talked about. I'm usually always grateful because there mm -hmm. was a reason why we had the contact in the first place. Absolutely. And so it's like, oh, thank you for reminding me that was a priority. It's just, I can't fit it in right now. But yeah, and just making sure you're on top of that. I think that is the fear sometimes when you finally muster up the courage to say something in your workplace, when it's met with, I can't deal with this right now. You know, it's like, it took you so much to get to that conversation. You know, it took me a long time to get to that conversation. And so it was personal at first, but that person was hearing about it for the first time from me. Right. So you have to remember right. like where they're coming at it from and where you're coming at it from and just kind of take that breath and take that step back. And like you said, make it about the business case. You know, this is my thing for empathy, right? Make empathy the business case, make diversity the business case. This is a personal issue that's important to me. And if you don't agree with me, you're not being ethical or moral, but try to sugarcoat it a little bit. Like this will help us attract top talent. This will help us create a thriving workplace and be a more sustainable organization. But not sugarcoating it. That's right, just telling it's truth. the truth. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's just telling that's just telling people. It's just the truth. wrapping the, the Brussels sprout in bacon, heart. That's what that is. It's like Okay, all right. <laughs> that's a that's a definite mom reference on that. It's that's like, totally, yeah, totally. Let them take that pill that they don't really want to take. Exactly. That sort of way. Exactly. But you know, I think that one of the things that we talked about before and that we keep talking about is recognizing that business gets done with people. People. And creating a place where people feel like they can bring their best. Mm -hmm. And most of us get a reward from bringing our best work and seeing the accomplishments. So creating a space where people can do that and taking away all those little things that distract. I mean, no one wants to have to always focus on the color of their skin or their gender or their gender identity. Right. No one wants to have to deal with limitations and resistance about that. 
in our society we have to, but we can work to remove as many of those barriers as possible. Mm -hmm. And we all are better for it. The entire organization is better for it. And we all feel more comfortable, particularly when we're all exhausted from having to deal with COVID and Zoom. Yes. And we all want to get back together. And, you know, it is my hope that when we get back together, the desire and the recognition of being human may break down the barriers a little bit so that we can see each other as that. And some of these limitations won't be as much because of this connection that of what we survived through together. I mean, at least that's my hope. I love that. I'm going to leave this interview on that hopeful note. Thank you so much for your time again today, Hart, and for this great conversation. Remind folks where they can find out more about you. You can find out about me at heartlearninggroup.com, H-A-R-T, learning, one word, group.com, or heartlg, H-A-R-T-L-G.com. I'm also corporate poet on Twitter and heart.life, H-A-R-T.life on Instagram. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time. Well, thank you for having me and keep doing the good work. I love your work and the insights that you bring through your podcast. Thank you. And thank you everyone for listening. Remember to tell a friend, rate and review. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss future amazing guests. And in the meantime, be kind and remember that cash flow, creativity, and compassion are not mutually exclusive. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Empathy Edge. If you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to share the show with others who want to redefine success and change the game. For more on how empathy makes you and your brand more successful, visit TheEmpathyEdge.com. There, you can download a free guide outlining five business benefits of empathy and a free sample chapter of Maria's book, The Empathy Edge. Until next time, remember that a more empathetic world starts with you and leads to tremendous success. Mm -hmm.